Good morning to all those who are joining us here in person. Glad to see some, actually a lot of, I'd say some, a lot of familiar faces to me. Um, As I was telling the last service, Flipside is my home. I don't feel like a guest. I don't feel like uh, someone from the outside. I just feel like I was just here last week. So I'm grateful for your hospitality and just your love toward me every time I come here. So thank you on my behalf. Also, I want to say good morning to those who are joining us online as well. It's a rainy day here in Madeira in California. So we're just glad that you're able to tune in some way and somehow. Um, so just a little bit of an update, by the way, just in case you see some bags underneath my eyes. I have a four, almost four and a half month year old now, um, which is a huge testimony. Praise God. Um, which I thank uh, God for. It's been an awesome uh, challenge and learning curve and deers in the headlight kind of moment. Um, but man, I'm learning so much about myself and ultimately what, who God is as well through the whole process. Um, one of the things as well that I just wanted to mention, I mentioned last service as well, is right now I get the opportunity to serve alongside a great team in Fresno, a part of a church called the Garage Church. Some people know about it. It's actually a church that came and was planted out of Flipside here. And it is led by patient Kabuya Matadi, who most people know in here as well. Um, and there's just amazing things happening. And I just wanted to take the just second to say thank you. Thank you to Pastor Carl. Thank you for uh, church being just so, in so many different ways. I don't even mean just financially or anything like that, but just generous with showing us over the years your love, support, um, your encouragement. Continue to be checked up on. Just thank you so much on behalf of the Garage Church as well. But now, diving in today, I'm super excited to be able to share a message that I believe God wants to, to speak to us. And actually, that's something that's going to help uh, Flipside as a whole start off the new year until what Pastor Carl will be beginning next week, talking for the next so-and-so weeks going forward. And that is really the importance of God's Word, and ultimately as well, how that points back to Jesus. And now what I want us to do is just get right into it. We're going to take a look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, starting at verse number 13. So if you have a Bible, or if you have a Bible app, or if you have a Safari search engine, Chrome, Google, whatever it is, you can just go ahead and look those things up. And it's going to be Luke chapter 24, starting at verse number 13. This is actually going to be the very last chapter in Luke. Um, By the way, Luke and Acts are connected together. It's the same author. So this is kind of like his end of this portion before he gets right into the next book. All right, let's go ahead and hop into it. Verse number 13, and it says... Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. They're talking about the crucifixion, and as we'll see here in a minute, the resurrection as well. Verse 15, and while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them, but they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what is it that you're disputing over? What is it that you're talking over with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there the last couple days? It's kind of funny in a sense as well, just to pause for one second. Like they're walking with the very person of the events that they're talking with and they don't recognize it. They're like, if anyone knows about the events that happened, of course it's going to be Jesus. But they're like, don't you know, man? Like, haven't you heard at least the gossip or the news or something? 
And he says this, uh, what things? It's so funny how Jesus responds. What things are you talking about? Tell me more. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we, we're going to come back to this, so just recognize this, but we were hoping, hoping that he was the one who was, about, who was going to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things have happened, since the crucifixion. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find the body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said to them, He is alive. He is not here. So some of those who were with them went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. He said to them, how foolish, this is Jesus now going back, how foolish are you and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken? Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all of the scriptures. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for even the privilege, and I I often forget this, the privilege it is to be able to come together, to be able to make the choice, to be able to gather together, to be able to worship, to be able to grow and learn more, to be able to connect with other people doing life with us. We thank you for, as we're going to talk about today, the word of God and the person that it points and the revelation of who this person is, Jesus And how ultimately this gives us our identity, our purpose, character, everything else. God, we're just grateful to be able to be here in this moment. I pray, Lord, now would you speak to us. Speak to us. Would you help us to learn and grow? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do things that I can't even do. People want to hear the word of God. People don't simply want to hear another good opinion. They could have did that. They could have watched the news and stayed at home. Father, we're here to hear from you in this moment. Would you speak now? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So something crazy actually happened uh, this past week. And maybe for some of you, it may not be that crazy. But for me, it was crazy. So for most people who know me, I'm not a huge Disney fan. Like when you talk about Disney, like I, I like Disneyland, don't get me wrong, except for all the strollers and the mini bruises and cuts I have in the back of my heels from visiting Disneyland. But I mean, like Disney, like the movies they make, I'm not necessarily like the hugest and biggest fan of everything. Not because anything wrong with it or anything like that. I just had never been able to get into it. But I'm going to tell you, I live in a household and I'm married to someone who is the complete opposite of that. My wife loves Disney. She can tell you about all the different princesses, I guess kings, if there is some, Prince of the Frog is king. Yeah, sure. And just tell you all these different plot lines. And like, she can sit there and talk to you for days about probably Disney. When I'm like, only thing I can talk to you about days is the Bible. That's probably about it. But she loves Disney. And me, of course, trying to be a good husband this past week, when I got home later on in the evening, we were like, okay, we sat down on the couch. What are we going to watch? And we're like, okay, like, instead of me just being like, I'm going to turn something on that I want to watch, I'm just like, you know what, let's turn on Disney Plus. You know, the app that has all the different movies of Disney and everything. And I was like, okay, fine, I'm going to be a good husband. I'm going to let my wife decide what we want to pick. And I know she loves Disney, so let me just, let me give her this one. So we'd open it up, 
And we see all these different movies. Most of them are just some weird cartoons, bunch of colors. I'm just like, okay, whatever. We're going through it. And she's like, what about this one? I'm like, ah, I know, I know I'm trying to be a good husband, but I don't know about that. I'm not gonna, I don't want to sit there through two hours watching that. But we finally got to a movie that oftentimes I've actually never watched. Most people have. You guys ever heard of a movie called Narnia? Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, yeah, the children's book even as well if you've never actually seen the movie. So Disney has published a movie that's based off of the book by C.S. Lewis. If you've been a Christian for a little bit, you maybe have heard quotes from C.S. Lewis. Um, He is a theologian, or was, I should say, a theologian, and he created these children novels, a bunch of great works that actually a lot of people who are not even Christian, like, love to death. And so we decided to watch this movie, Narnia, The Lion, The Witch, and the Wardrobe. And for me, I was kind of like, again, I've never seen it. She's watched it. But I was like, okay, I'm going to have to watch any Disney movie. It might as well be like something C.S. Lewis made, at least. So we're going through it, the whole thing. And uh, I'm not going to lie. I was, I was surprised. I was sitting there. It's like a three-hour movie, too, y'all. So I was like, one, I was, that was also another thing. I was like, man, I don't know if I'm trying to watch a three-hour movie. And we were going through, and I was, I was getting surprised. I was like... As, the, as the, the scenes began to unravel, as characters began to come up, as different plot scenes began to come up, I began to be like, I, I know what's going on here. I've never seen this movie, but, but I know what's going on here. And I know who this character is, and I know who this character is, and whoa, what that person just said right now, that, that's, that's huge. Aslan is a representation of Jesus. He ends up sacrificing his life for the children who ultimately probably deserved punishment, but instead he said, take me. It's wild. And I begin to sit there and probably annoy my wife, if I'm completely honest, because I was like, that, that's this. And this is connected to this passage. And this is connected to this scripture. And this, and I'm making all these connections. She's like, I just want to sit here and watch the movie. Please be quiet. But for me, I was like, oh my goodness. The Bible, the scriptures that I know, C.S. Lewis marvelously put them all in these different places. But I wondered as I was got done with that movie that night, and I wonder even as popular it has been in as many countries as people have read this thing or watched it in, I wonder how many people actually really read what was really going on. Did they see the plot that was behind the actual plot? For them, for a lot of people, I wonder if they actually just watched the movie or read the book and they just saw these mystical creatures, lions that talked, all these different funny things, or did they actually see what C.S. Lewis was trying to communicate? But if we're honest, the only way in which you would truly know what was going on in Chronicles of Narnia is if you had a knowledge of the Word of God in the first place. See, in our text today, we see ourselves going into the life of these two individuals. And there's a whole lot that's being unraveled within these two individuals' lives. It is Resurrection Sunday, or for us, it's Easter Sunday. So for us, we usually like, like, like are excited about Easter, wear a bunch of bright colors with Easter. Like we're just over the top. But ultimately, that wasn't necessarily the situation going on for Jesus' first friends and followers for what is for us today a joyous moment and something we look forward to and something we actually invite more people to come see and hear about, for them, they were left with this confusion and this doubt and this, in a sense, anxiousness and of like, what is going on? We followed this man for how long? Only to find out that he ends up being killed by the government. 
Like, how does God, the person we put all of our hope in, remember I said we're coming back to that? The person we said we were hoping this was going to be the one, how is it that ultimately he let us down? Have you ever been in a situation where you put so much hope into something, so much expectation into something? I mean, you could just be like, "Ah, it's, it's coming out of my skin, only to feel like it just fell through your fingers. Feel like it just barely missed the mark. This was what the early followers of Jesus were feeling in that very moment. And so what we see is, as most of us have have heard the Easter story, women go to the tomb, and instead of finding a body, they end up finding an empty tomb. And they have this vision with the angels. And as they tell them, they said, the Jesus that you're looking for, he's not here. I don't know what you came to look at, what you came to find, but it definitely is not Jesus. He's here. He's alive. He is risen. And ultimately, the women go back with excitement and believing the truth of what they've just seen. They go back and they tell the others who are in this place of confusion, place of of what's going on, doubt, questions, maybe even arguments. And they tell them, we've seen the good news. We've seen that Jesus is no longer there. We were in this place of despair the last couple days, but I know what happened today. This is what happened. And so some of them are like, Okay, and let's, let's be really honest between us in here. Maybe no one else needs to hear this. If someone told you someone rose from the dead, what is your probably reaction? Probably like, mm, okay, I don't know where you were at a little too long last night or uh, what you were doing or what happened, but maybe you saw some. There's got to be some explanation for this. Maybe it was this happened. Maybe it was that. So they end up going and they go look for themselves. It says others did. And when on upon arrival, what do they see? The exact same thing, nothing. So now here we are into the text today, where now these people, there's two of them, Cleopas and another individual who is unnamed. And just for a quick teaching moment for one second, Luke uses this sort of like when he just names one person. It's not because one person is more important than the other person. He uses it in a sense as like an eyewitness. Because the whole point of these texts was to say, this is 100% true. These events 100% happen. And if you don't believe me, go talk to that person. Go talk to Cleopas. So he's writing these different things, and he's saying, he mentions Cleopas by name, again, because he's not more important, but he says, if you are in doubt still, go talk to this dude you know. He lives at this, 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 this. To us today, we're just like, we don't know. Can't even say, I've never met someone who's named Cleopas, right? Confused. So we see these two individuals, and it says that they're leaving Jerusalem, where the rest of the individuals were at, where all these events unfolded and took place, and there's going to this place called Emmaus. And Emmaus, it's unclear, actually, of where this actual village or city is actually at. Today, we're not really sure. We can't pinpoint it. What we know for certain, it's seven miles from Jerusalem. So they're on this track. They're on this walk. And again, their feelings aren't the excitement. I'm joyful. I am over the heel about all this stuff. They're in this place of like, what is going on? I'm confused. These women are telling us, and people are saying that his body is not there, but there's got to be some explanation for this. And so the text tells us they actually begin to argue. They have this intense, that was what it says, conversation among one another. And here comes Jesus now in this situation, in this moment, with all these intense feelings, this confusion, high energy. And he steps in 
And it says that for whatever reason, and there's other, depending on the version of the Bible you have, some of them will say that God hindered them from actually being able to recognize who Jesus was. Other versions will kind of leave it a little bit more open, as most older manuscripts kind of do. But either way, I don't want to focus on that. The point is they didn't recognize him in that moment. And Jesus enters in, and he says, hey, what what y'all talking about? what's, What's all this going on over here? And they leave with the question. They say, what do you mean what's going on? What do you mean you haven't heard about this? Like imagine there was a big event that happened with us today, or even just simply that it was raining this last couple of weeks here where we live. Imagine that, and someone comes outside and says, what, what are y'all talking about? Dude, it's been raining this whole time. How do you not know? And so Jesus comes in and in a way sarcastically said, what's, what's going on? What are you going through? And I just wanna point this out for just one moment. Recognize what Jesus does in that moment. He doesn't sit there and automatically starts going, y'all are wild, you guys are missing the point. Like everything, he starts just like communicating what he has to say. He actually gives them an opportunity to let them to have every, let, let them have everything out. You know that God does that for us too as well? I don't know about y'all, but I've been in moments in my life where I'm frustrated by a situation, where I'm in a place of confusion. I'm trying to put the dots together. I come before God. And I just, I just, I just vomit. I just let it out. Like not literally, but like just, just let everything out. I, I can see the comments now later on. He vomits. No. My point is like, like, like you just let it all out. Raw emotion. And that's what we see. They respond back to Jesus and they're like, this happened. And, then, and our leaders took him and they did this to him. They crucified him. And now the women say that he's alive. And now they're just, just throwing up. They're vomiting all of this information at Jesus. And Jesus, the whole time, I can imagine, he's just sitting there like, yeah, I know. I hear you. You know, it's okay to be raw and honest with God when you go to God in prayer. I know sometimes we see how people on the stage or other church experiences you've had, like where people will have these holy sanctified prayers, we're doing this, like like it's just perfect, it sounds like. But I can promise you, and I can point to the scriptures and the Psalms with David and other people, where people just were raw with God. I'm confused. I'm frustrated. I don't know what's going on. Maybe I'm even angry with you. And yet God, just like Jesus, is patient enough to sit there and listen. And I love that about God. He's willing to listen to what is going on in our lives. And so it continues on where Jesus then, after they've let all their stuff out, remember, they asked him a question, don't you know? And I like to say, it doesn't literally say, don't you know? He didn't respond, don't you know? But in a weird, in a way, he says, okay, now you've told me all these things, don't you know? Don't you know what the prophets spoke about? Don't you know what the law of Moses explained? Don't you know what all of the Old Testament, the Tanakh, what it was talking about? It was saying that in order for the glorification to come, in order for all these amazing things that you probably are on the tip of your tongue and are on the very uh, front of your mind to remember, before those things can happen, before all the good things can happen, what needs to happen first is suffering. And that leads me to my very first point is this. Suffering may be a part of God's plan. Now, based off of everyone's reaction right here, and I can imagine those who are joining us from online as well, I saw no one cheering for joy when I said that right now, right? 
No one in their last, in their, in their New Year's resolution, in their plan for 2023 said, I'm planning to suffer. No one in here is saying, I am just super over the moon. I'm going to seek out suffering, the hardest situation, and I'm going to run toward it. No one is saying that. But ultimately, it is such this, this weird, but like beautiful thing, as we'll see here in just a moment, that God himself, that, he, that we celebrate during Christmas, God becoming human, God becoming man, Emmanuel, God with us, chose the path not simply to come to earth, go into the king of kings, like become the ruler of all the earth and just snap his fingers and said, y'all are going to believe me today. He chose to be born as a baby, as a helpless infant, someone who had to depend and rely on other people and ultimately go on to live a very normal life all the way up to the point where he would suffer and die for you and I. And so for again, No one of us have this mindset of saying, in 2023, we want to suffer. I'm with you. I don't want to suffer in 2023. My prayer is, would you keep my family? Would you keep my child? Would you keep my wife? Would you keep the work I do? Would you continue to help it prosper? But what if? What if God is like, John, but I have something that you need in this season? Not that God is going to go seek out and throw punishment on you, but he's going to allow some things to happen that ultimately that you will get through but will be for your benefit and good. And I know some people here today are like, John, the last couple years for me have been nothing but suffering. I don't, I don't need to seek it out. <laughs> I don't need to go find hide and seek and play with it. It's right there on my door. I know it way too well. But, but I wanna just say this. If you're in that place, if you're just trying to get a breath, if you have been tapping out for some time now, You're like, I'm just looking for a breath of fresh air. I just want you to be encouraged to know that you're in good companionship with the one who did suffer. You're not alone. Jesus, God himself in the flesh, went through suffering. So that way you and I, when we would go through these different things, he would be able to say, I know what it's like. I know the feelings that are coming over you. I know the different emotions that are overcoming. He was betrayed. He, I mean, we can go down the list of all the different suffering that Jesus encountered. But ultimately, we who are in these places, I who have been in those places, know that I am not a person without hope because of that very reason. See, the people who were walking with Jesus that day, the road to Emmaus, some of the scriptures that would have came up to their mind right away And usually, actually, as we'll see here in a minute, was probably maybe a reason why they weren't able to recognize truly what took place. is because they would probably see passages like Luke chapter 4, where Jesus is in the synagogue among all the people, be the beginning of his ministry. And he reads out of the prophet, out of the scroll of Isaiah chapter 61. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the release of captives, recovery of the sight of the blind, and to set the oppressive free, to proclaim the Lord, or the year of the Lord's favor, or the year of Jubilee, which literally means the release, the freedom, liberation. When they thought of Jesus, probably, they were thinking the real Messiah should have been all of this and nothing else. He should have been the one to liberate. He should have been the one to set free. He should have been the one to give us a good life here and now. 
all these different things. But what they failed to actually see, I believe, is in Luke chapter 9, Jesus, I love it, and actually numerous places, including even actually the very last chapter after all this, he tells them that it's going to be necessary. It's necessary that that, that the suffering servant, that the Messiah, that Jesus would go through these hard things before the glory would come. Luke, or excuse me, Isaiah chapter 53, verse three through five says this. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised. We didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sickness. He carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion Cursed because of our iniquities, the punishment of our peace was on him. And I love how the King James says, it says, by his stripes, we are healed. Suffering, unpleasantness, difficult, confusing moments. God chose this route to redeem humanity. God chose this ultimately to be the way that would bring True freedom, as Luke chapter four was saying to all people. Again, if you're in a place of suffering, you're not alone. God is there. If you're in a place where it just seems difficult and hard, you're not alone. He's there. And I would encourage us who are not necessarily in those places that when the time comes, because you've lived enough life, it's gonna come eventually, that we wouldn't feel betrayed by God or felt far from God, but we would recognize that he is with us even in those moments as well. And so this comes, we have to recognize as well now, as he's talking to these individuals, there's something really important to recognize of what he does. He simply just doesn't, like, Jesus doesn't even just give his own opinion necessarily, even though he is the word of God himself, he could have. But what he actually does is he draws these two individuals back to the scriptures Their confusion is led back to the scriptures. Their heartache is led back to the scriptures. Their hopelessness is led back to the scriptures. And ultimately, this is what I want us to talk about here now as well, is the story of scripture, your story and mine, only becomes clear with Jesus. Many of us, try to make sense just like these two were. Try to make sense of the situation we're in. Try to make sense of the difficulties we're facing. Try to make sense of why my kids are acting this way. Why are these things happening within the businesses that I'm in? Like why, 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 why? But the thing is, it's important that if we ever wanna figure out the why, you first gotta know the who. Let me say it again. If you ever want to figure out the why, you first got to know the who. Every single week, I get the opportunity to visit actually anywhere between 50 and 100 students. Anywhere from the ages of 12 up to 19. Some in group homes, some incarcerated, some just living in Clovis, having a, what you would call a normal life. And one of the things that continues to come up is this overwhelming sense of anxiety. 
this anxiety of, I can't just figure out who I am. I can't figure out what I'm supposed to be today. Because if I feel this way, it means I need, to inact, I need to act out in that way. If I'm having these different emotions, that means that that must be the truth. And when you ask people, is there truth? It's like, it's whatever you want it to be. And I'm going to promise you, the only thing that's going to lead to time and time again is a bunch of anxious people who can't figure a dang thing out or ever make one dang decision. Because the decision that I made yesterday is going to be different from the one I made today and tomorrow and gone and on and on and on and on. But the thing is, as people who have decided to place their hope and faith in Jesus, who've decided to make him truly the leader of their life and who decides to truly invest time into learning this thing, learning the scriptures, going back to those scriptures when we're filling these different things. We have the ability not to feel like we have to live in this anxious place, but we have the ability to feel like we have something to stand on, and that's Jesus. Where he says, you want to know more about your identity? Come to the scriptures. You want to know more about who God's created you to be? Come to the scriptures. You want to know what it looks like to lead a family? Come to the scriptures. You want to even just know what it's like to be a good person when you go to the job that you can't stand to be around people you can't stand? (laughs) Go to the scriptures. We do so much searching on this with a bunch of people who are just want to talk about everything except for scripture. And we often wonder, why do I feel so confused myself? It's because ultimately the person who should have the first comment in every conversation, the first thing that should come to mind every time I have something that comes across it is what does God have to say about this? What does God have to say about this? Jesus did this very thing on the road to Emmaus with them. He gave them, he said, let's let's, let's talk about scripture. Because I know your expectation was liberation and that was it and the the Messiah would never have to suffer and die. But ultimately, when we really look at Scripture, this is what it plans out to be. This is the actual picture that it paints. And I know it wasn't necessarily the one that you had hoped for and I know it wasn't necessarily the one that you had expected, but I promise you this way is actually the better way. This way is ultimately beneficial for you and for all other people as well. It's important that we know God's word and ultimately who God's word points to. Because that's the whole point of verse, uh, verse number, um, where is it at? Verse number 27. It says, Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all of scriptures. Scripture is just this giant, beautiful story that ultimately reveals Jesus. So when we're reading scripture, really the thought that should come across is, what does this actually inform me about Jesus? What is this pointing toward in Jesus? And now I'm not saying, let me be very careful, I'm not saying go to any random book and just try to like put Jesus in there like a sticker, right? But ultimately, when we begin to ask these things, say, what is this revealing about Jesus? What is this revealing about the character of God? And we see it time and time again. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 to 14, we find out that there is this son of man coming and ultimately it would be planned out just as Jesus's life was. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, 15, Moses tells the people of Israel that God will raise up from among them the one that they should listen to. He's talking about Jesus. 
Psalm chapter 118, it talks about ultimately how there was going to be a stone that the builders have rejected, but ultimately will become the chief cornerstone, will become the very thing in which everything in creation will be built upon. And you take that thing away, there is nothing existing. So as we read scripture, we have to remind ourselves too, what does this reveal about Jesus? Where does this point me to? Who is this actually ultimately revealing? See, for Jesus, we can see it all over. Jesus is the good shepherd talking about, talked about in Isaiah. Jesus is the king that God promised David that would rule forever. Jesus, in a sense, is the Boaz who would redeem us back to himself. Jesus is the tabernacle in the wilderness where God would dwell among his people. Jesus is our Passover lamb that we see that ultimately that would buy us back and bring us into right relationship with God. Jesus, and I love this one, he's the new Adam. The old Adam cursed everyone after him, but the new Adam ultimately brought life to all those who would actually decide to follow in his ways. You wanna know what it truly looks like to be a real human being? We look to Jesus. He says that he was without sin. He was perfect. So you wanna know what it's like to be a man? Look to Jesus. It's gonna sound really weird now, okay? Say with me. You wanna know what it likes to look like to be a, a woman? Look to Jesus. I, okay, you, you get me, you're with me. I hope that wasn't misinterpreted. My point is he gives us all the right characters, how to be patient, how to be loving, how to be kind, how to be good neighbor, how to be hospitable, how to be all these things. And even especially when people don't want nothing from you. Like when people literally are like, I don't want none of that Christian stuff. I don't want none of your goodness. I don't want none of your hospitality. I don't want none of your care. Jesus shows us plenty of examples about how we are to live in those moments as well. Again, it is important to understand who scripture talks about ever before we begin to discuss why these things unfolded. In Emmaus, Jesus pointed them back to the scriptures. And now we're gonna take a look at here for a moment that we didn't actually get the opportunity to read because I wanted to leave it to the very end. So after that section, what we see is that Jesus ends up going And as they're getting close to Emmaus and they actually get there, in a sense, what the scripture says is this, and we'll read it here in just a moment, that he was gonna walk on by. They got to their destination. It says that Jesus gave them this perception that he was just gonna walk on by. And there was something that I want us to read that what it says to how they responded when Jesus was gonna walk on by. And it says this, they came near the village where they were going and he gave the impression that he was going farther. But they urged him, stay with us. They urged him. Some translation says they insisted. You know how strong those words are? It's not like simply like, I guess you can come over to my house. Like, you should stay here. Like, like you know, like when you, when you, like, like you, you know it's nice to like invite someone to your home, but you're like, I really don't want this person to come over. I just want to go home and just like chill out. But that's not what they did. It says they urged him. They insisted that Jesus stay with him because it was almost evening. And now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And this is the beautiful part. That is my favorite part of this whole passage. And verse 30, it says, it was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. He broke the bread, blessed it, gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened 
but he disappeared from their sight. And they said to each other, we're in our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us. Recognize what happened. They invited Jesus into their home. They invited Jesus into close proximity. They shared a meal together. And it was the very moment when they decided to break bread, quite literally like actually bread. That's when there was a reversal of what was taking place the whole time. At the beginning, what we see is that their eyes in a sense were what? Blind, closed off, unable to recognize Jesus. But then as soon as he decides to be invited into their situation, when I think you get where I'm going, they decided to be invited, they invited him in. Their eyes were opened because of one element. And this element was nothing special. This element wasn't nothing that was just designated for that alone. Recognize bread. Bread, wherever you go in the world, and I've been to other places, Switzerland, South Africa, one thing you can always be certain that you'll have in a meal is bread. Bread is usually always going to be incorporated into a meal because bread is accessible to all, rich and poor, can be done, have had in abundance. Like bread is such an ordinary, normal thing. Yet it was this very bread, this very ordinary thing that God turned into something in that moment which be extraordinary. And that leads me as we begin to finish up into this. Ordinary things are given extraordinary meaning when Jesus is invited to the table. Again, there was nothing special about this bread. It could go unrecognized. You could eat it, consume it, go back tomorrow, eat some more of it, and it would never do anything. But it was because of what Jesus had used it for originally, their eyes were able to be opened in a second. Ultimately, what would be coming back is the Lord's uh, Supper, what we did right now with communion, where we took the bread that would represent the body that Jesus would give to us in all of creation on our behalf. And ultimately, the times when Jesus would feed the thousands and thousands with loaves of bread. My point is this. God takes ordinary things and uses them for extraordinary purposes. Your family, God can take and use in extraordinary ways. Your story, God can take and use in extraordinary ways. Even as we talked about your suffering, when given to God, can be used for extraordinary things that ultimately won't just simply be about people coming to you and be like, wow, that's really awesome. That will ultimately direct them and point them back to God. Think about this with a, for me in just a moment. Money. And I know there's a lot of people who have, have good education. They'll probably argue with me with this, but just stay with me for a moment. Don't go too deep into it. Money. It's not necessarily worth anything. It's a piece of paper where we have attributed a certain price, meaning everything, right? It's something we've given meaning to. But ultimately, you can go and buy all these different things, right, with it. But it's not until you decide to give it truly to God, to give it actually for his purposes and his kingdom, that it'll actually have a greater investment than you could ever make. You know one investment that will last forever? It doesn't matter if the market's going up and down. 
doesn't matter who's in office, doesn't matter any of that stuff, is when you decide to give it to God. I work for a nonprofit. We rely, and I'm not, I'm not saying all this stuff because Pastor Carl said it. No, no, no. He, I, I, you guys are the most generous people I've met, actually, and I talk about that all the time. And this is not because I want you to give anything. My point is this. I work for a nonprofit. We rely on the donations of individuals, and I've seen how literally $5 literally changes generations of families. And I didn't share this actually the first service. Last couple weeks ago in Youth for Christ, we get the opportunity to go into group homes. And I met this kid, and I've known him for almost uh, half a year, a little over that, eight months now. And he's a Bulldog gang member. And, he, I mean, his family is Bulldogs. Like, it, it, like, it's just generational in a lot of ways. And honestly, as I met the kid, he didn't want nothing to do with Jesus, nothing to do with the church. I'm good. I like the life I'm living. I'm used to what's familiar. I'm staying here. And one day, just a couple weeks ago, they, we at Grief for Christ had like a Christmas party for the youth to come. And they always give a gospel presentation. They share Jesus with people. Someone preaches. And it was actually Cam, who some of you guys know, Lamanuzi. And they told me, they came to me like, John, this one kid, he gave his life to Jesus. And they were telling me his name, but they were using like another name that he goes by. And I was like, I don't know who y'all talking about. And the person you guys are talking about, there's no way <laughs> he came to Jesus. Like, there's no way. And then it was couple weeks ago, we were giving out Christmas presents because of generous churches that were able to give. And this kid was there. And his whole demeanor, his face, I mean, I've literally, it's been a long time since I've seen someone's face quite literally look different. By the way, he has tattoos all over his face. Like, like he, again, he just doesn't look like he would fit that part. But I was sitting there talking to him and he told me, John, I made the decision. I gave my life to Jesus. And I said, man, because someone decided to give their talent, treasure, whatever it was to God, that happened. Lives are changed. People don't have to remain in bondage anymore. This is the fulfillment of what Jesus was talking about in Luke chapter four, where he says, I've come to bring liberation to your situation. And your situation may not necessarily look like that kid I just explained, and it may not look like something like mine, but God wants to use whatever is basic and ordinary in your hand for his glory and for his purposes. What is ordinary in your life? What is basic? And maybe even there's some things that you think are ordinary and basic, and everyone else is like, no, I wish I had that talent. I wish I had that treasure. I wish I had that gift. I wish I had those looks. Whatever it is. When we decide to give it to God, when we decide to come back to the scriptures, that's when ordinary things are given extraordinary meanings. And this is where I'm going to finish today. I love what they said at the end, verse 32. It says, weren't our eyes burning within us while we were talking with us, while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures? They had this overwhelming sense of like fire inside of them. Like an emotion so deep that you can't even explain it. Like, like, weren't, why, why, why were we couldn't see what was going on the whole time? Like he was with us, the word of God present among us. He was with us. He walked with us. It could have even been for seven miles possibly. That's a long time. And yet why was it I wasn't able to see him? And ultimately it comes back to is because they weren't rooting themselves in what this thing says. Chronicles of Narnia. Why is it people are missing the subplot line? It's because they don't know what this thing says. 
Why were the disciples in that early moment living in this place of despair and probably overwhelmingness and confusion? You know why? Because they weren't rooted in this fully. They had forgotten even, let's just even use that word. You want to know ultimately what's going to bring the most excitement and joy to your life and will actually try to truly not necessarily solve every problem that you have, but actually bring clarity into it. It's knowing what this has to say. But you know what that requires? What they did. Jesus, I insist you come in with me. Jesus, I insist you stay here. And that may look actually like it's going to require some humility for maybe for some people to say, Jesus, I need you to come here. It may look foolish even to your friends and your family and the world and your coworkers. Why is it that you get up every morning and pray? Why is it that you go to church on Sundays when you could be at home watching whatever and doing nothing? Why is it that you do all of these things? And ultimately it's because I'm just trying to insist that Jesus would come. I'm insisting that he would stay in my home, that he would have a relationship with me and that I would be able to get close enough that I would be able to receive a real revelation. That word meaning simply just gain clarity, ultimately of what is already portrayed in these things. God, revelation tells us, God is doing this. Jesus is doing this. He's at the doors of our hearts, metaphorically knocking. You know who he's waiting on? You and I, to draw near. Whatever plans that you have for 2023, would one of those plans be drawing near to Jesus and whatever that looks like for you? For some of us, we need to make better commitments to be able to say, I'm gonna come to church. I'm gonna be there on Sundays. I'm gonna actually make at least a try to make an attempt to do better. Some of us, it does look like I'm putting my head more and more and more into this. Instead of scrolling on these comments on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all these different things and being fed garbage, which I'm not saying it's a bad thing to have, but I'm just saying is, would you spend at least adequate time in this as well? I'm saying I'm letting this write the story in my life. I'm letting this give me clarity in life. I'm letting this be the foundation in which I stand on. And regardless of what comes my way in my situation this next year, I know for sure and confidence that God is among me. God is with you. God is present. Would we be encouraged today to take these next steps to say, I want to go deeper with Jesus? Maybe this is your first time or you're joining online as well and you haven't made that next right spiritual step. I would encourage you, what are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? Because you know who Jesus is waiting on? Just you. And not for you to start doing everything right. Pastor Carl talks about it all the time. Grace, 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 grace. If it was based on what anything we did, I don't know not one person who would know God and have a relationship with him. I don't know one, but because of what Jesus did on the cross first, what Jesus did on the Calvary, what those people ultimately were able to finally later on celebrate on that Easter Sunday is that he is risen and he is no longer in the grave. And because he is no longer in the grave, that gives us understanding and hope and joy that regardless of what this world has to offer us, regardless of what our situation has to offer us, that ultimately he has something more. What is ordinary? What does God want to use in your life? What do you have? How can we get closer to him?
This is my prayer for us. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We are not deserving of your grace. I am not deserving of your mercy, not deserving of everything you have blessed and everything that you have changed for good in my life and in my time. Father, I'm just praying for the one who is here even this morning or joining us online. I'm praying, Father, that they ultimately would hear your voice. It's okay if they heard nothing I said, but would they hear your voice, especially clearly through the word of God? Jesus, we thank you because you've extended the invitation to every single one of us and you continue to do it day after day after day, even when we make mistakes and we drop the ball. Father, would you continue just to draw us? Would you give us and would you provide moments where we can invite you in, where we can urge you to stay with us? The peace we're looking for, I know it's only found in you. The hope of the world has been risen. God, we're just so thankful. Whatever it is that there's someone here that they need, Father, would you provide as only you can. Healing, I pray for healing, Father. Deliverance from addictions or any challenges or battles, I pray for that. Struggles, God, I pray that you would be with them. You would meet them where they are. There is a living God and that's the whole point of this text, God, is that you have risen from the dead and that there's something we can take assurance in, something we can be confident about, something that ultimately we know we can lay our heads to rest in peace over. You have risen, Jesus. Now would you help us to continue to remind ourselves daily ultimately what your word reveals. And that is one name and one name alone. In the name of Jesus. We pray all these things. Amen.